So, uh, Patty, we had a great episode today. I'm really excited about the interview I did with uh, Dana from Enroll and Pay and talking about this idea of turning every lo- every credit card into a loyalty card. Yeah. Cool I, one idea. of the stats I was most interested in is that they're seeing between 30 to 70% conversion, meaning 30 to 70% of all the credit card payments in these businesses are signing up for the loyalty program. That is an insane That's number. an insane number. An so insane we're going to talk about why that's important and how this really is an interesting pitch for merchant services agents that integrates well with what we're you know doing in our industry. Um, and I loved your insider's report today about crypto. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the crypto world. Um, you know, things to keep a lookout for because uh, merchant acceptance and consumer demand seems to be picking up. And then James, I loved your uh, your in- your question from the field. You know, getting people off the fence. That's a that's a great topic for this time of year. Yeah, and I decided this time to. Uh, I was what happened was I got an email from an agent asking me about the situation with a particular merchant that really should have moved forward. There was a lot of savings there, but they said call me after the holidays. And I thought, well, you know what? Rather than me emailing back, I just scheduled a Zoom. I recorded it. And so today you're actually going to get to hear a real, you know, question from an experienced agent and me giving some tips uh, that I, I think you'll, I think you'll like. Just a reminder, our sponsor. Oh yes, Lavu, the uh, cash discounting point of sale system for restaurants. So yes. uh, you can check out lavu.com, and we'll have more information about that later in the episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm here today with Dana Doms. Uh, Dana is the Director of Global Sales for Enroll and Pay. How are you doing today, Dana? Great. Thanks, James. Yourself? Doing fantastic. Uh, so really excited to have this conversation today. We're going to be talking about this crazy idea of turning credit cards into loyalty cards. Uh, really, I think a very unique concept. Um, before we dive into that, though, Dana, tell us your story a little bit. Um, how long have you been in the industry? How did you end up uh, working here with Enroll and Pay as uh, you know, uh, your position you have there? Um, and to also tell us a little bit about Enroll and, Enroll and Pay, kind of big picture and what you're doing today. Sure, yeah. Uh, Brian, who's the founder of Enroll and Pay, and I met approximately 10 years ago around there. Uh, through a mutual friend of ours, and we talked on the phone about his existing business, you know, a number of times over a period of a couple of weeks and decided we'd meet another one another in the middle of the country. So we flew into Chicago. Uh, I was coming from Canada and he was coming from uh, San Diego. Sure. So we met and broke bread and sort of sketched some stuff on a napkin and thought about the existing business and decided we would uh, partner up and try to do some stuff. So awesome. um, our, our original um business was actually in a universal loyalty program. So we had thousands of merchants nationwide. We're very successful in signing up merchants, uh, but not as successful in signing up consumers. And the reason being was was a lot of fields of information that consumers had to fill out, you know, first name, last name, zip, credit card number, CSV expiry, and all that kind of stuff. And they weren't receiving an immediate uh, gratification upon enrolling. And they weren't receiving an immediate you know, discount or, or gratification on the spot on recurring purchases either. So they would get a statement credit once a month on their credit card statement. That being said, you know, the merchants loved our program because we were bringing them significant lift and lots of you know, great business intelligence to the table, which they were able to leverage. Right. Um, but our downfall, like I said, was converting consumers. Right. So... You know, not to use an old tired word pivot, but we essentially pivoted and decided instead of trying to become, you know, a big marketing behemoth with kind of cool tech, uh, let's really concentrate on the crux of loyalty, which is conversion. Yes. And so uh, we decided to, you know, do a complete 180 and really concentrate on being a tech company and trying to find sort of the holy grail, if you will, of loyalty by signing up as many consumers in the most easiest fashion as possible. Hence, that's how Enroll and Pay was born. And here we are approximately 10 years later. Okay. So I I love this. And you touched on a couple of things here I want to dig into. So my first question is really about the importance of loyalty in general. And and more specifically, why should business owners care about having customers enrolled in their loyalty program? Because, Because of some of the reasons you just mentioned, loyalty programs have actually not been super popular amongst the businesses that, you know, our audience would go into, you know, your retail restaurant type locations. It was a big thing. It was like a fad for a while. And then it kind of like died out in its popularity. Now it's coming back. So tell us about this. You know, why is loyalty even important? Why would merchants want to get a lot of people enrolled in their loyalty program? Well, the main reason people have loyalty programs is so they can, you know, keep in contact with their consumers post-transaction. And any savvy merchant 
um, is really going to want to get to know every single person that walks through their door. Good, bad, or indifferent, whatever that communication is post-transaction, that's right. very important. Um, you're going to want to be able to communicate to every single consumer if possible. Um, so, and traditionally, loyalty programs have been very clunky. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, lots of fields of information to fill out or carry a separate card right. or give me your phone number every time. So that friction at the point of interaction has really been the downfall of traditional loyalty programs. Some have been relatively successful, some haven't. So that's why we've created Enroll and Pay to really you know, streamline that whole process so a consumer can simply pay and enroll all in the same step and get that immediate gratification for enrolling. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, so, so now let's, let's kind of even pivot a little bit here in this conversation using the word you use there. And, and let's talk about the ISOs and, and agents here um, for just a second. So, you know, um, I have the opportunity to consult with a lot of different software companies, different tech companies. And, you know, many of them are like, oh, we really want to leverage all of these, you know, thousands of individual agents and small ISOs and stuff that are out there independently selling payment processing. And, you know, for a while I used to advise people, yeah, you should do that. It'd be great. And then I started saying, it's probably not going to work for you (laughs) because most of them that come in, you know, they want to leverage the distribution but they're not actually like tightly integrated. There's really nothing about their service that like, you know, requires payment processing. And I think at its core, our audience is like, well, I want to get the payment processing account. Like I need something I can sell that is a value add, but that requires the payment processing. So let's bring this all together for us, if you would. So we understand the importance of loyalty. We get it that, you know, obviously there's, I'm sure you can give us tons of statistics of, you know, once somebody's enrolled in a loyalty program, they're going to shop more, they're going to get more revenue and all of that. Then you talked about this friction that existed. So bring this together for us. What is Enroll and Pay doing now to remove that friction? And how does that impact ISOs and agents and kind of their value proposition here? Great question. So Um, Our rollout model is, our distribution model rather, is through large ISOs and processors, as you know, and Mm -hmm. we simply white label the platform to them. What we've done is we've extended our platform for free to every single one of their merchants for a 60-day trial. Mm. Whether or not they hold the processing with them or not, it's a very compelling proposition to be able to walk into, you know, perhaps it's a merchant that one of your agents or ISOs wants to try to land. Right. Um, and so they can offer our platform for free for a period of 60 days. And we're going to push out some offers. And right. then it's a simple economic conversation at that 60 day juncture. You know, the lots of fields of information and data that's very valuable. What was my conversion percentage? What was my basket size for non-members compared to members? Right. You know, what was my revenue generated from, you know, the two or three campaigns in that 60 day juncture? So it really becomes, like I said, an economic conversation between the agent and the merchant in that they're gonna wanna either continue on leveraging that data Mm -hmm. or they're not. And 99.9% of the time, they're gonna wanna continue on. And then of course, the agent or the ISO being that trusted advisor, if you will, has really brought some value to the table for the merchant. And the merchant simply, whenever their contract is up, is certainly gonna want to at least give that agent or ISO a shot at the business. So rate card is out of the equation now, it's where is that value proposition that you brought me and how much value did you deliver? Okay, so I want to unpack this a little bit. So first of all, break down the process of enrolling a customer in this loyalty program. How have you removed the friction? You mentioned these extra fields. Give our audience kind of, that maybe those that aren't familiar at all with what you do, how does somebody get enrolled in the loyalty program now? Yeah, I'll just give you a very primitive example. Let's say a consumer walks into ABC Steakhouse. They receive their bill at the table or at the cash, either or. Um, Once they tapped it or swiped their card, we're going to identify whether the token that's associated with that card is in fact enrolled in that merchant's loyalty program. If it's not, some sort of merchant-funded incentive is going to populate on the payment device, essentially in return for that consumer's phone number and to link the card. Right. So let's say the bill was $100 and the merchant has decided you know, in advance that it would be in their best interest to extend a 10% discount immediately, essentially in return for that consumer enrolling. So instead of the authorization now going up for 100, it now goes up for 90, so the consumer gets that immediate gratification and the consumer just simply puts their phone number in one time and agrees to the terms and conditions. And now that credit card is their loyalty card going forward. So every subsequent visit to that merchant location, they simply just tap to swipe their card and they're going to get whatever, you know, um, incentive offer or redemption is available to them seamlessly without the, you know, the server or the cashier having to ask them for a particular card or phone number. 
And then let's say they, you know, they do that, they go two or three times, then maybe the fourth time they come in, they use their other card. Mm -hmm. What what happens then? Same process then. Great question. Same process. They're going to tap their card where, again, that enrollment offer is going to come up. But instead of the enrollment offer, it's going to say, do you have a phone number already enrolled? And now we're tying all those cards together. So they can add as many cards to their profile as they wish. And after they've enrolled the one time, they can pay with cash going forward if they wish as well. Got it. And then, they, and then in that case, if they paid with cash, then they would say, you know, do you have a, are you enrolled in the program? If so, what's your phone number, right? Is that the idea? Correct. Yeah. Right. So the thing I love, one thing I love about it is I was, I was thinking about it and it's like, it's so interesting. Why all these years were we collecting first name and last name? We, we never use, I mean, it, you know, maybe in a marketing email, we say, Hey, first name, you know, that's like the extent. So it's like, why all this extra friction for something really a data point that we don't care about? Um, and, and let's clarify one other thing too here. I'm assuming when we talk about these offers, which we'll probably dig into a little more in detail, but I'm assuming we're talking about text marketing primarily since what we're getting is their phone number. Is that right? Correct. Now a merchant can decide to use an, you know, an email address as the identifier. Okay. Uh, we, we think that's a little bit clunky. You know, you can make errors trying to input, you know, yes. an email address rather than putting in a phone number, which is, you know, simple right. nine and you're, and you're good to go. Well, and not to mention that the open rate on email is probably like 4% or, or 8% versus the open rate on text is like, what, 95% or something, isn't it? Something along that lines, yeah. And when, yeah. when the offer is pointed based on, you know, that consumer's historical spend behavior, you right. know, really pointed to their spend behavior, it makes a lot of difference because mm. they're not just getting a blanket offer, they're getting something that's meaningful to them. Right. Okay, so so we unpack that piece. Now I want to talk about the ISOs and agents for a second. So, I mean, I think this is pretty simple, but maybe some people didn't quite catch this. I mean... Obviously, if the card is the loyalty, you know, uh, card, if the credit card becomes a loyalty card, well, then obviously the payment processing is not only integrated, but is integral. I mean, you know, you could go in there and say, we have to do your payment processing because otherwise we won't have the token that we need to track the cards for the loyalty program, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, once once the agent or ISO has that business and capture, the merchant's never going to want to leave them. And not to pat ourselves in the back too much, but we really re- you know, refer to our platform as a churn killer right. in that the merchant's not going to want to start the wheel and that whole process over again by having to right. enroll from, from, from scratch. Okay. All right. So let's, let's see, I'm going to, I'm just going to restate some of this here and tell me if I've missed anything, but I think the general concept is great. If the idea is we have 60 days free. So let's say I'm an agent out in the field. I primarily am selling, you know, restaurants. And so I would go out, I'd say, Hey, when you sign up with our payment processing, here's what we offer the 60 days free of enroll and pay the idea of how it works and everything, then the merchant would activate it, which is this simple. I will talk about how to activate it, but very simple. They start collecting these phone numbers. And then throughout that 60 days, they're going to send a few text marketing notifications out, you know, Hey, we've missed you come back and get 10% off or whatever your system is going to then track. Actually, let's talk about that. So then how does your system know that it, that it did generate more revenue for the, for the merchant? Great question. So the agent or ISO has uh, a view of the backend portal, the merchant okay. portal. As nice. the merchant. It's been our experience so that most of those small to medium sized merchants simply don't have the time or energy right. to instigate some sort of campaigns or even build a simple offer construct. So it's that, you know, sort of handholding concierge service, again, that trusted business advisor, that agent mm-hmm. or ISO that's going to do that, you know, heavy lifting for them, which isn't a lot. It takes about five minutes to be set up um, for a campaign. And then we also have an AI engine that will kick in and is constantly analyzing and scrubbing all that spend behavior. So we'll send an email to the merchant on behalf of the agent or ISO, you know, every two or three weeks, it says, you know, based on the past, you know, 30, 60, 90 days of spend behavior, we suggest you send out this type of offer or these type of offers. And the merchant can review those uh, and simply click publish. And then that offer is going to be texted out to every single consumer that's in their portfolio. So they'll be able to see people coming in in real time if they want to look at their back office, they'll see, you know, what the offer was, how many people redeemed and how frequently they redeemed. Got it. Okay. One of the things you alluded to there that, that definitely warrants more conversation is, you know, kind of getting set up, right? So obviously there's a lot of different systems out there. Um, and, you know, talk to us a little bit about how do you enter, you know, what are the systems you integrate best with, I guess would be the right way to say it. Um, and then maybe, you know, how do you deal with other situations where maybe there's hardware or software that you don't interact with directly? Give us a little context of how to actually set this up. Sure. Yeah. So we live on the payment terminal. So we do integrations with all the major payment device providers. So PAX, obviously we're with PAX, um, which, you know, all the A-series, you can actually download or a merchant can download our app 
directly from the global marketplace mm -hmm. and literally be up and running in five minutes if they wish. So okay. they can do that on their own. Typically, we're finding the agents and ISOs are doing that for them just so right. they know how to set it up properly or they can call on us if they wish. And then we're also integrated with Verifone and Clover is shortly behind. And then Ingenico's on our map for early next year. Okay, great. So you got you have pretty good coverage um, in those situations. And I would imagine, um, you know, again, what, one of the things I love about this is you know, it's funny. I used to think it would be, it was like a benefit to say, well, but if you have to, you could do a separate terminal or, or something. But I like that. It's like, no, this, you, this has to go with the payment processing. This is like part right. of it. Right. And so I think that integration is, is super interesting because the truth is most payments professionals don't want to sell a separate thing or a right. separate device or something. In addition, they want to say, this is payment processing. That's what I'm selling. And guess what? I have this thing that makes it more valuable, but it's totally integrated and, and you know, necessary, right? Most definitely. Yeah. And when the baskets, when the merchant sees the basket size and the revenue increase, in turn, you know, the domino effect, of course, is that the ISO or agent is getting that additional revenue processing fees along with it. So it's a win-win. Right. Right. You're, you're growing the revenue, which is growing the fees. Um, I love that. Okay. So um, let's say we have a merchant, they've been with enroll and pay for like three to six months. You know, they, they've, you know, they've gotten a lot of their customers to enroll in this program by using their card and they're, you know, getting these return visits. How are they able to really monetize and leverage this? Give us some, you know, maybe some examples of the types of offers that they're, that they're doing. Maybe an example of a restaurant or retail or whatever you might have. What are some examples of that? How are they leveraging it? And then if you have any high level stats, I know you can't share too much detail, but as far as like, what are they seeing? You know, how much revenue increase are we talking about? Give us some, some stats on that if you could. Sure. So we see as high as 70% conversion, depending on how compelling that initial enrollment offers, and on the low end, 30%. So, 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 so back up a second. So, so that number you're saying of the transactions where people are using their card, they're able mm -hmm. to get 30 to 70% of those people to give their phone number and enroll in the loyalty program. Correct. Wow, yeah, that's, that's insanely low. high. Okay. It is. It is unheard of in the loyalty industry. And the reason being is that we're capturing 100% of those swipes, you know, so right, right. As, long as, that, as long as that initial enrollment offer is compelling enough and is suitable for the consumer, they're going to enroll every time. Yeah. So, so there's the first time offer and then there's ongoing offers. Some merchants decide to have, you know, an ongoing, you know, 5% off or 10% off or points or electronic punch card. We can work very well in a sort of like a coffee shop, sub shop scenario where it's buy five coffees, get the mm -hmm. six free. You know, that approach to loyalty has been full of theft and fraud for years mm -hmm. um, by simply just punching the punch card, right? right? So now that's easily trackable. And then going forward, you know, I'll give you some examples of some of the restaurants that we have on board as merchants where, you know, for whatever reason, the chef has walked into the walk-in fridge and realizes they have a glut of, let's say, sirloin. You know, so what am I going to do with the sirloin? For whatever reason, they ordered too much or business wasn't right. robust as they thought it was going to be. You know, how do I get rid of the sirloin? So they can simply reach into their database and pull down every single person that's bought sirloin in the past 60 or 90 days right. and say, we're going to have a two for one special this Tuesday night. So again, that all is tied to the payment card. The consumer just simply walks in and pays with that card without even having to announce themselves. So one thing you just brought up that I think, uh, you know, we should clarify is it sounds like what you're saying is that enroll and pay in addition to kind of taking these cards, multiple cards and attaching them to a single kind of customer record. It sounds like you're saying in some of these, like, you know, say a Clover, you're also attaching to say, we know, you know, enroll and pay knows that, that what that customer has purchased. So you're also kind of syncing the inventory and order and purchase history to this customer as well as to the cards. Is that right? Correct. In most instances, we're able to capture the line item detail or the SKU data. Right. So uh, it makes that post-transaction marketing much more meaningful uh, sure. for the consumer and also much more, you know, easier for the merchant to manage because now they're actually sending out offers that are specific right. to that spend behavior. Love it. Love it. Okay. So I think we covered most of the detail, um, you know, in addition to the, you know, revenue going up, which is going to increase residuals, right? Um, what's the economic model for enroll and pay? And I thought maybe you could even give us a couple examples for whether it's uh you know, not getting too detailed, of course, I understand that. But for we have, you know, maybe your larger ISOs, as you mentioned, they may want to white label enroll and pay and, and really do a full blown, you know, talk to us about how that works. I would imagine it's some kind of a, an opt out or something. Um, and then maybe talk about for the smaller ISO, the one to three person shop who maybe they don't want the white label version, they just want to offer this. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you work with the ISOs and agents. 
Sure, yeah. So for the larger processors and super ISOs, we typically will white label our platform to them. So it's their brand simply powered by us. Mm-hmm. They're the face. They're the ones that are the you know trusted business advisor for their merchant base. They have that relationship. So it just makes sense that it's ABC loyalty program powered by us because the merchant knows that you know brand and that right. that, uh, that, that uh, processor. So that being said, we also have a number of smaller agents and ISOs, you know, the one, three, four, five person shops that simply resell our platform. Right. So it's still that merchant's loyalty program. It's just right. powered by us. It's just our engine. So right. whether it has enrollment pay stamped on it or has, you know, ABC ISO or processor stamped on it, it doesn't matter. Right. right. You know, um, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say to clarify for the larger organizations, um, are you talking about actually, you know, potentially creating a different app in the various app stores for them? Like how far does the white label go? And then also the economic model, is it some kind of a buy rate or like how, how does that work? Yeah. So we do give a buy rate. So, um, and I won't give you the exact numbers, well, course, but it, right. is, it is tiered. Um, it's very competitive, <coughs> excuse me. And like I said, we're giving it to the, to the ISOs and agents for free for 60 days. Mm-hmm. So it's good for them as, as it's good for the merchant. So right. we simply give them a buyer and then they can, you know, charge whatever rate they want to their merchant after the fact. Sure. Typically there's going to be a variable cost for e-receipts and text campaigns, mm-hmm. um, which is added into it. But the buy rate on the bottom ends all in is going to be around 10 or $12 per month per mid for, you know, one person you know, shop. Right. So it makes it very, very compelling offer. And yeah. a lot of those smaller agents and ISOs see such benefit from the increase in basket size and revenues that they simply give the platform away for free because they never want to lose that customer. And they also want to be bringing that value to them on an ongoing basis. Sure. And then maybe they would charge extra for, you know, the text campaigns, that kind of thing as it grows is the idea, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's interesting. And I, and it's interesting too, because, you know, especially on some of these larger merchant accounts, I would imagine the revenue from the enroll and pay side could actually become significant if they're, if they've got, you know, several thousand people and they're sending text campaigns out twice a week or something, I would imagine that there's some pretty good revenue there from what I know about text marketing. Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So um, I want to give out some contact information um, and, uh, you know, for enroll pay, I want you to share that. But before we do, um, we worked on an ebook together um, and we published it a little while ago as one of our merchant sales insights. It was super interesting. And I want to give that link. So I created a special short link for this episode. If you go to ccsalespro.com slash enroll and pay, no dashes, all lowercase, like it's all one word ccsalespro.com slash enroll, E-N-R-O-L-L, and pay, enroll and pay. Um, that will take you to an ebook download. Um, it's a free download, really, really cool stuff. We talked a lot more in detail about some of these things and the trends that we're seeing. For those who don't want to do that, they just want to go directly to you guys and learn more, where would you send them? Just enrollandpay.com or Dana at enrollandpay.com or info at enrollandpay.com. There's lots of really good links to the ebook and to interviews and the case studies that are coming up that you'll see on our site. Awesome. Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to share the insights. I love what you're doing. Uh, I think it's uh, really exciting. And hopefully our audience uh, will share my interest as well and be reaching out to you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So Patty, of course, this episode is brought to you by LAVU, L-A-V-U. It's an amazing point of sale system specializing in cash discounting for restaurants, um, you know, Patty, when I think about this system, the fact that it's based on an iPad. Yeah, um, that's what gets me. That's so cool. It is. And, you know, iPads are not what they used to be. They're, I have no. an iPad Pro and it's I use it more than my computer in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very powerful. But I think what's even more important is the imagery that you can present to the the merchant about this, because you can say, look, you know, um, they're thinking a restaurant owner is thinking, I don't want to switch a point of sale system. It's going to be really right. difficult, really challenging. I'm actually working on a really cool script. I finished it. We're doing some editing. We're going to be releasing later in the month, but, um, on how to sell restaurants, this solution. But what I think is really cool is when they say, Oh, we don't want to go through that. Say, when's the last time you downloaded an app on your phone? Right. I did it you know, a week ago. Okay. How difficult was it for you to figure that out? Not bad. Right. Okay, great. Well, that's what this is. Yeah. So yeah, I think that really changes the mindset for them of, oh, okay, you know, it's like, hey, these new systems are cloud-based. You download an app, that's it, um, which is pretty amazing that they've built. You know, it really is crazy when you think of when the iPhone and the iPad was released. Can you imagine right. if somebody would have said, oh, I know what we'll use that for. We're going to make a fine dining point of sale solution. <laughs> right? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Are you kidding? But now, but you I know, mean, that's what's so cool about the technology, how it's evolved 
And yeah. and and also it's sort of evolved with with consumer demand. I mean, you know, yes. I don't know about you, but if I go to a restaurant, the last thing I want to do is wait around for the check and then for right. them to take that check back to the back and right. come back, you know, right. go through all that rigmarole when all you got to do is give your servers a cheap iPad. I mean, you know, right. you can get a t- tablet right. for a couple hundred bucks right now right. and you can multi-use it. Yep. Um and you take it to the table and everybody, you know, think about how fast you clear the tables. Right. Think right. about how much you're helping your wait staff because you're probably going to increase the tip size. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so the overall efficiency for very minimal investment, and it makes it such an easy sale, I think. It does. Well, if you're interested in LaVu, reselling for LaVu, um, they're processor agnostic point of sale system. They specialize in cash discounting for restaurants. Text the word LaVu, L-A-V-U. Text that to... 63975. It's a short code. So text the word LAVU, L A V U, text that to the number 63975. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by CCSalesPro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit CCSalesPro.com forward slash training to get a free 14 day trial of our all access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Um, you know, James, it, it occurred to me to contact you because I was facing what I noticed is a pattern. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not new to this game. You know, been in this for decades. Um, I've been doing uh, phone sales. I've been doing face-to-face sales. And, uh, you know, I do web demos. I uh, overcome objections. I crunch statements. I do all the daily do that you have to do in this business. And um, and I'm on the phone with this guy. And we had, this is an example of this was the example that inspired me to reach out to uh, my friend, James. I basically said, you know, uh, to this guy, well, you know, we've, we've, we've crunched your statement. Uh, we've done a web demo on uh, our platform, the equipment, the capability. Uh, you re- were really fired up about this. Uh, you wanted me to put everything out to you in, a, in an email and send you our uh, sample agreement, which I did. So uh, as we agreed today, I'd like to get back on that sample agreement, send it, you know, go over it with you and, and make sure that everything is exactly as we said. And out of the blue, he kind of says, well, I did get it, but uh, I need some time. I need some time. I said, okay, fair enough. You need a little time. If you don't mind me asking, what do you need some time for? What, what are you going to do with the time? He goes, I just, I, 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 I just, I can't get to this right now. Just can't sure. get to it right now. I'm just a little sure. too busy right now. Got sure. this going on, got that going on. And all of a sudden I sensed that what was, what he was really excited about now slipped, you know, down into a real low right. priority situation. Sure. And I find that that often happens. Yeah. There's a pattern where your prospect just doesn't see yeah. this as much of a priority, right? right? And I do know that, you know, often what I will say is, you know, maybe there's something here you're not trusting or believing. Like I'll try to address that elephant in the room. Sure. And basically um, what I told them, the example that I gave them was, you know, uh, Bob, all my merchants are called Bob. Bob, if um, you found out that the bank made a mistake, a $200 mistake today, in your deposits, what are the chances you'd stop what you were doing to try to get back that money? He said, right. I'll be on the phone right away. Right. I go, okay. So if I'm offering you $200 a month, right. that is your money that is being taken by other people by mistake. Right. Why wouldn't you have the same fire in your belly to get that money back? Right. And again, it was like, well, I hear you, but I'm just too busy. Just yeah, call, call, yeah. call me next year. Right. right, right. I, I lost the call and I'm thinking to myself, what is it? You know, yeah, I tried sure. doing the sale, right. I tried doing all the steps properly sure. that, sure. and so there, there it is, yeah. you know, okay, cool. and, and that, that, yeah. Yeah. I like it. So, so let me give you two, two thoughts and, and we can brainstorm a bit here because, you know, you have a lot, a lot of experience in this as well. I, I think for me, you know, I look at this as two different problems. So the first problem is how do we avoid this objection altogether? Um, the next question is, how do we deal with the objection if we get it anyway? Because <laughs> we're going to get it sometimes, no matter how good we are, of course. Um, <laughs> as far as avoiding it altogether, um, I think that one of the most important pieces of this is as we get past the initial prospecting stage, we really have to be intentional about 
the information that we provide and the timing of when we provide the information. So as an example, for me personally, what I always had a rule was if I'm trying to finish the sale over the phone, well, or in person for that matter, I will never send the information until I am on with the person live. So I'll give you an example. I would send an email and say, hey, I got your proposal done. Um, you know, I'm ready to go over that with you. What's a great time that would work for you? And I'll set it up. And then I'll say, hey, I've got an email ready to go. As soon as we jump on, I'll send it to you. Well, then we would jump on a Zoom or we would get on a phone call and I would say, uh, hey, I'm about to press send to send this to you. Are you at your computer right now where we could go over this for 10 or 15 minutes? So to me, I try to get that piece of the confirmation because what I find is, Usually once you get past that point, as you found, you kind of are in a black hole. It's like, I don't know, like, what's the issue here? What, you know, is it, are they really too busy? I mean, obviously at the time of this recording, we're in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I'm too busy is the most common objection we're going to hear. I don't know. Is he really that busy? Did he, did he see one of the numbers and it wasn't what he thought? So, and the other thing I'll tell you is when you are giving a written proposal, um, usually a written proposal is going to have monthly savings which in my opinion is the worst piece of information to provide initially. I want to give three year savings as, as the first number. So, you know, as, as we all know, psych- sales psychology, right? Everybody looks, the first number they hear is the only number they care about. So I decided a long time ago, the first number anybody was going to hear from me was going to be 36 month savings. So if I'm saving somebody a hundred bucks a month, let's say, um, you know, or in your case, you're saving them, you know, 200 bucks a month. So I would go 200 times, um, you know, 36. And I would say that's 7,200. So what I would say is, you know, on the call, I'd say, well, first of all, before we dive into all the details, let me give you the big picture here. Okay. Now let me, let me start by saying, if I came to you right now and said, I would like to cut you a check for $7,200 and you don't have to do anything. It's, it's a government grant, let's say, right? The government's got a grant program, 7,200. You don't have to pay it back. Would you accept that check for me? Absolutely. Of course, right? And then you say, well, I've got good news for you because that is literally exactly what we're going to talk about today. So uh, my average customer actually stays with me for five, six, seven years usually, but the industry average is 36 months. So if Mm -hmm. all you do is stay with me for 36 months, I'm going to be able to put $7,200 right to your bottom line. Um, So I don't know about you, but that sounds like it's significant enough that we should explore further. Wouldn't you agree? Um, totally. Yeah. Right. So, so that's number one. I, so there's a few tips to kind of like try to avoid it. It's going to happen occasionally. Right. So try to avoid it. Then sure. when we get past that point and we've got the objection, oh, I'm too busy. Da, 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 da. Um, what I really like to do, and I've really been into lately, Chris Voss and his, uh, he has his book, never split the difference. Um, I went through his master class. He's a ex FBI negotiator and he has hostage negotiator and he has these fantastic tips. I started using them in my larger negotiations and they work really well. So in this case, we would want to use what he would call labeling. And the idea is usually we say too much when we're trying to dig for information. So we might, you know, for me, I might say, you know, uh, you know, if if I wasn't before this, yeah, I might've said something like, uh, wow, I feel like everything just kind of changed. You, you were super interested. Now it seems like you're not interested. Why is that? You know, well, the tone of that is actually very accusatory. You know, it's almost like, let's argue about this. Instead, labeling is where you just label the emotion. So all you say is, it seems like you're upset about this. Or you could say, it seems like now there's a lack of interest. So you do, it seems like, it looks like, it feels like. Now you don't ever say I, so we don't say, I think, you know, I think you're less interested. It seems to me like, because now we're saying our opinion, our observation is what matters. No, it's about them, right? So it just, it seems like it looks like it feels like. So, um, you know, it, it seems like, uh, it seems like you're, you're not as interested and that's it. And you got to leave it hanging. And what they'll do is they'll fill in the blank. So then they'll usually say, oh, it's not that I'm not interested. I'm just really busy. Um, then what you do is you use something called mirroring. So this is great. I'm excited we're having this conversation because I never talked about this on a video yet. And I've been using it like literally all the time. My wife's getting really tired of it actually. But uh, <laughs> um, then you use mirroring. So mirroring is where you just repeat the last one to three words the person said that are important in the form of a question. So they say, well, it's not that I'm not interested. I'm just, I, we're really busy right now. Really busy? Well, yeah, we have the holidays coming up. We are busy season. I, I actually just hired a new employee. Oh, a new employee. Yeah, we got them to, you know, so you just mirror, right? 
and get all the information. And what will happen is they're just, it's hilarious talking to people like this. Even my employees, <laughs> you know, I've been having these conversations where I haven't really said anything, you know, and I'm getting just all this great information, you know, it's like, they just can't help but share. So all this great information. Yeah, exactly. A, you get it. Yeah. You, you're already catching on. It's very simple. And it literally right. took me, I like it. It took me probably two days, you know, to figure it out. Right. Um, and I've been using it a lot. So again, right. I think, I think those things are really good. I love your illustration mm-hmm. of the bank and saying, you know, how it, I love that. Right. Um, and so, but here's the thing I would say is mm-hmm. then when they agree with your point of view about the bank, mm-hmm don't go back into the the argument or the debate, just assume the sale. So let me give you an example. Let, let me repeat it back. So now you're the merchant and I'm the sales rep. So I would say, um, let me ask you a question, you know, that really does relate to this. If you found out the bank messed up your deposit by $200, what are the odds you'd be taking time today to handle that? 100%. Excellent. Like I do okay, it right now. Well, so obviously this is, I mean, this is $200 a month. So obviously this is worth taking time to handle today. Now, do you have a few mm. minutes right now or should I call back in an hour? That's a very good point. I got right. It. So instead, yeah. you know, just declare, you know, I like to say declare yes. victory whenever you can. Right. Just right. declare victory. I'm not right. going to continue the argument. I won. <laughs> so right. it's I over. So yeah, I don't know. A couple of tips. Maybe sure. some of that will, will help you out. And I'm sure uh, it, help, it, help, it helps. It helps immensely. It does. Good. I love the mirroring. I love the just jump right into assuming the sale, uh, claiming that victory. And I really, really, really learned a lot about um, the idea of um, making sure that they're on the phone with you when you do. Yes, send a proposal. That, that's so crucial. Um, that, that'll I, get rid yeah. of the need for a lot of that stuff. It really will. Right. You know what I mean? And again, when you're even when you're on the call with them, whenever right. you sense something, mm-hmm. just label that gut feeling that you have, you know, and I, I think the longer we're in sales, the more we trust our gut. You know, I know I do. Sure, sure. You can tell it's not, you, you know, we know, we know they're yes. less interested. We know that they're upset. We know they're having a bad day. Um, right. And so you just, you just label that and, and, you know, you're not yeah. attaching any, any meaning or emotion mm-hmm. to it yourself. You're just yes. saying, it seems like you're upset. Right. I just it, leave it. Yeah. It, yeah, it seems right. like, it seems like something changed. Yeah. Right. Just I'm not it. feeling, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. Right. And then, and then just Got when it. you say that it just, you leave it there and they feel like they have to jump have in, to jump in. Right. You know? So anyway, right. but awesome. Right. Well, I really appreciate right. the question and uh, hopefully that'll help. For you sure. And, uh, it certainly does. So, Thank you Christmas. so much. Right, All right. You too. Take care. This is the insider's report with Patty Murphy brought to you by the green sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, there's been a lot of news lately on the crypto front, James, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, I wanted to pull together a few things that I thought would were relevant um, for our listeners. And some that I just found really interesting. (laughs) Sure. You know, first, federal regulators are pushing Congress for more power to regulate stablecoins. Now, you know, stablecoins are a type of crypto that's like pegged to the dollar or the yen or something more stable. Mm -hmm. But regulators regulators say they're afraid these fast-growing type of crypto assets could result in bank runs and payment snafus unless lawmakers give them some power to regulate. Now, this idea came from a presidential working group that included the Treasury Department, federal bank regulators, and and others. And I thought this was interesting. Apparently, there's more than $130 billion worth of these stable coins in circulation as of wow. December 1st. And that's up from $28 billion in January. Whew. Right? Now, this is so interesting. So I – now, I am – uh, I will profess to, to being a bit of a novice with, with this topic. So I'm familiar with more of the traditional crypto. So tell me more about this. Is there, are there certain ones that are really popular that I w- would have heard of, or I'm, I'm surprised I haven't heard uh, more about U.S. This. dollar coin is the one that I'm most familiar with. Okay. So U.S. dollar coin. Okay. Okay. And that's pegged to the U.S. dollar. That's a lot. One of the more common ones that's used. Um, I know that there's others out there, but that's the one that just pops to mind at the moment. Mm, okay. Um, Interesting. And, and and some of like for like when you do a PayPal when you you're buying crypto on PayPal often it's U.S. dollar coin that people are buying, that's probably one of the more popular ones. Mm-hmm. I noticed um, when I was on 
PayPal the other day. They had, you know, do you want buy crypto? <laughs> you know, and there was a whole list of different yeah. crypto things you could make. They, they're uh, a type of, of, of crypto that has stable value. But apparently, according to uh, regulators, there's like all kinds of human errors and management failures or disruptions mm. that can result in these things crashing. Wow. And, um, you know, that, of course, could can cause consumers to lose money or there's, there's also a lot of there's been several fraud cases involving stable coins. Right. Um, right. You know, um, so, you know, right now. There's no law preventing, for example, retailers or other commercial concerns from issuing their own stable coins. So imagine a wall coin for wall from Walmart. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know and that there's you know always been sort of what they call this Chinese wall between banking and commerce. Mm -hmm. So without any kind of regulation, anybody can go out there and create a stable coin that is pegged to the dollar. But still is a crypto asset, which means it it lacks um, reporting, sure, and oversight, sure. which means of course it can become uh, a staple of of crooks, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Well, know? and I think the other thing too is, and again, me being a bit of a novice here, I'll admit, but I'm you know pegged to the U.S. dollar relative to what you know. In other in other words. Right. How does it stay pegged to the to the dollar? In other words, if people were to if there was an incident and people were to lose trust in that form of currency, mm -hmm. I would imagine it might not be worth a dollar anymore. And I, that's I don't know. Exactly. Just... And that and that's like that's exactly what the regulators are afraid. Oh, okay. All right. You're right. Yeah. And that's what can happen, you know. Um and and again, it's not just um a a managerial kind of of mis misguidance it could also be outright freud's fraud freud right uh fraud um <laughs> yeah that too right um you know somebody could go in and monkey around with the platform and deplete the platform of all of its assets sure you know sure. um so i just think it's a you know we we talk we've talked often about sort of that whole idea of the camel's nose under the tent yeah. kind of thing you know yeah. and i see this as sort of like the first step Okay, first we're going to start regulating stable coins. Right. Next, we're going to start regulating. Right. You know, Dodge. Well, coins. well, of course they've already. There's already been significant regulation around crypto right. um, reporting. You know, IRS regulations. The IRS regulations being the most obvious. Yeah. Right. And and the New York. I mean, if you look at New York State, which was the kind of home of mm -hmm. most of the crypto exchanges and things like that. I mean, they've heavily regulated that. Yes. Yes. You know. But you still have the volatility that you have with. You know, Bitcoin and those things. Of course. And and to be honest, I'll be I'll be honest. I a couple times I had some friends who are like who are really into crypto, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we have you know some kind of transaction where we're buying a gift for somebody, and it's like, right. oh, just buy, send me some crypto, and I'd be like, I'm not going to do that. I'll buy the crypto this morning, and it'll be worth less this afternoon. And they're right. like, oh, just go buy U.S. dollar coin. That'll be fine. Right. And, right. you know, like you, I've always wondered in the back of my head, how long is that going to be fine? Right. Right. You know, if it's still it's still it's still a crypto asset, which still. Right. Is, there's less volatility, but no. Right. But, you know, to right. me, but, it's but there's still like, no there's still no underlying value. And and I think and again, I, I would I definitely want to do more research on this. But I mean, to me, in some ways, I can almost see it as more more volatile, meaning you know, with at least with, you know, say Bitcoin, right? You know, well, right. Bitcoin's underlying value is the amount of effort that it takes to mine it. Right. And so it's tied to that. And so there's actual effort involved. They give you a really good example. You'll get a kick out of this. So there's a, a friend of a friend who got a new job and we were talking and his job now, this is absolutely insane. He travels around to oil, uh, refineries and oil, I don't know, places that get oil that out of the ground, produce oil, yeah, whatever. Right. right. And they have a lot of excess um, energy that comes from these oil rigs. Right. Okay. And what right. they're doing is they're piping this excess energy into these mobile crypto mining things. Really? And the companies are generating additional revenue by sure. leveraging the excess energy to, run computers that are going to mine crypto 
which, from what I understand, it takes a lot of power to it does. to mine. Yeah, it does. Yes, yeah. but it's very valuable. And so, uh, right. anyway, my point to that is, I don't know that much about these "quote unquote" stable coins, but you know, to me, it's like, well, then if it's always worth a dollar, I'm not sure how that relates as far as the mining aspect of it. Um, you know, but the idea would be, you know, it, it seems like the kind of thing that's very stable until it's not. Right, and 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 my understanding too is okay. So you want a a, a stable coin. It's still being pegged somehow to Bitcoin or something like that, right? So to get one dollar worth of stable coin might cost you fifty cents. You know, it might be a fifty cent asset a week from now. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure yeah, how that would all I work. Mean, I, yeah, we'll have to I, do I some more. Re- I will do some more research yeah. on this. Yeah, yeah. but um, anyway, I wanted to just you know throw out a few other things that I found out. For example. MasterCard found in a recent survey that four in 10 people worldwide plan to use cryptocurrencies over the next year. That's crazy. And millennials are especially eager with two thirds being more inclined to use cryptocurrencies than they were just a year ago. Mm. Um, And and in related development, MasterCard has announced a partnership with three leading cryptocurrency providers in the Asia Pacific region to launch a crypto funded MasterCard payment card mm-hmm. so instead of transferring crypto directly to a merchant the cardholders crypto assets get converted into a fiat currency say like the new zealand dollar right and get settled in those currencies on the mastercard network which is mm-hmm. kind of how most of these crypto cards work right um you know earlier this year visa partnered with uh the fintech deserve to launch a first of its kind crypto rewards card um, you know, Visa and MasterCard are both investors in this company deserve, which builds itself as a credit card as a service platform that has, quote, reimagined the credit card application process with mobile first and instant issuing. Sure. Um, Visa has said it, it has partnerships with 50 crypto platforms on different card programs. Right. And that and in July, it said more than a billion was spent using these crypto linked visa cards in the first half of 2021 right and, and i think just to clarify for our audience if i understand it correctly these crypto cards are basically a place to store the value of your cryptocurrency Correct. and then leverage and you spend it in basically in u.s dollars is the idea and and basically what it most of these are like the visa ones are rewards cards so you're collecting your rewards as crypto oh okay i see okay that's okay so then you can spend those rewards right crypto denominated rewards okay um yeah interesting yeah, and then you know, I, then there was another one, ACI Worldwide, which is a global software company that also does payment solutions, large, mostly to large mm-hmm. corporations. Um, has a partnership with a with a crypto firm. I love the name of this, Rocket Fuel, wow. um, to to um, support e-commerce acceptance of crypto payments. I'm not sure their um, name inspires the um, confidence and stability they're looking for, but that's it's a nice name. But it's for, a great name, drugs. right? I mean, <laughs> to me, it'd be a great soft drink name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, rocket right? fuel, exactly. Rocket fuel, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I wanted to just, you know, why this should matter to merchants and their payment services provider is that, you know, there's research that shows that crypto acceptance um, drives up average order values. And because crypto payment processors manage the volatility, there's little little risk of lost value between transaction and settlement. Yep. Um, it also has a potential to bring in new customers. A Forrester research study commissioned by BitPay, um, which is a platform based in, I think they're headquartered in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, revealed that consumers paying with crypto have average order values of $450 compared to $200 for those using other forms of payment. And um, and here's another interesting among those customers paying through BitPay, <coughs> excuse me, 40 percent were new to customers for those merchants, according right. to Forrester's research. So, so, so in other words, to put that in a nutshell, you know, by a merchant accepting crypto, they're encouraging people that otherwise would not have shopped there to come Correct. and shop there. Correct. Yeah. Which is, you know, why it's worth watching. Important. I mean, I just, you know, there's there's these things start off small but they yeah. they tend to yeah. they tend to snowball so yeah. um but yeah I, I definitely will keep tabs on all of this i know sure. i think i reported earlier this year that the fed was supposed to release a report which it still hasn't released even though it was due right. in september right. i'm really interested in seeing what the fed's thoughts are on yeah. all of this 
Well, and I think, you know, it's been interesting. I've been doing some research, as you know, as well on this topic. And mm-hmm. um, I, I really am a firm believer that sometime 2022, 2023, um, our industry really does need to start heavily selling crypto acceptance. Yes. Now, again, to your point earlier that our audience may not quite have understood is, you know, the idea of taking the volatility out of it. And what that means is that a merchant through companies like BitPay and others, they can accept crypto without ever actually taking ownership of that crypto asset. Right. So these companies for a very small fee, they are guaranteeing that, look, if you accept $100 in value of Bitcoin, you are going to get $100 minus whatever your fees are. Um, right. And so they're taking, to your point, the volatility out. So um, again, I don't think, you know, it's, it's like we talked about, you know, it's, it's very similar to me as far as the early days of Apple Pay and the way I mm-hmm. talked about that. Right. I'm I as people I think no, I'm a publicly, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of crypto as far as them accomplishing their their promise of mm-hmm. anonymity um and you know zero cost, which was kind of the main two reasons for it initially. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't think merchants should accept it any any less than when Apple Pay first came out, they were like, Oh, this is gonna be ten percent of all transactions in six months. And I'm like, No, it's not, it's gonna be point one percent, which it was. Right. But right. I still think every merchant should accept it because that 0.1% is 0.1% that's going to grow. Um, and Well, you know, yeah, you know, and my friend Paul Green, who founded the Green Sheet many years yeah, ago, yeah. used to say, you know, merchants will take anything of value, even if it's a puka shell. <laughs> there you go. There you as go. long as they can get value out of it. And, and that's pretty much what, you know, the, the ISO and the agent's job is, is to make sure that the merchant can accept Capturing all the anything value. they want. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Well, I'm sure we'll be uh, keeping tabs on this one. So thanks for, for updating sure us. Thing. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.